Hi, everyone. Welcome to Welcome to the Gun Show. I am joined by Tarek. Hello, everybody. And Garrett. Hello, everyone. And in this show, we're going to talk about uh, maintenance on handguns, uh, the parts that you need on hand, what we would recommend you keep even if you're a low-volume shooter, stuff we'd recommend you keep on hand if you're a higher-volume shooter, and spare guns if you want to own 1911s. Derek, uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to lead us into this one with uh, well, some knowledge bombs of how guns about any of, Before we talk about any of this, what we do need to say is a massive congratulations to Sasha Lee Duplessis, who this week was selected for the Ladies Production Optics uh, team for the World Shoot in Thailand next year, and got sponsored by Bernard Agencies and Glock with a G17. And we can now announce was today sponsored by MRST and Shield Sights um, with the optics for that gun. So well done, Sash. Knock him dead and uh, go kick some ass. It's not every day that you can say that uh, I'm going to the World Shoot Oh, and I picked up a sponsor. Oh, and I picked up another sponsor. That's really good going, Sash. Really proud of you. Uh, fantastic stuff. Keep going. One of these days, you're going to have more sponsors than Gaz. He just doesn't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that nervous giggle shows. <laughs> yeah, no no denying. No I mean, I'd just like to point, point out that Bernard Agencies now owns the power couple of IPSC. <laughs> this is true. Uh, and there's no better place to be. Oh, I see. That's why we love you. Too. Heart um, shape. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> back on topic. So something that comes up really often in, in internet discussions on guns, is, and it, it's, it's particularly pertinent to South Africans because of where we are, is that uh, is, is discussions about spares availability, um, you know, what spares you need to keep on hand for a gun, why it's important, that sort of thing. And and we often get guys saying, oh, spares aren't important because my gun is just for self-defense. Uh, first of all, there's no such thing as just for self-defense. It's about the most important thing you can own a gun for. Everything else is a game except for just for self-defense. Uh, and there's this perception that, well, it's a self-defense gun. It's not going to get shot that much. It's not going to break. And while there's some stuff that wears through use, um, there's also some stuff that falls under the heading of shit happens, you know, your car has a warranty because sometimes parts break before they're meant to, uh, you know, or you could lose a part or something could go wrong. You know, you send the gun in for new sites or a refinish or something and someone loses a part. So that's what we want to discuss today is kind of the the stuff that the normal sort of day-to-day stuff that's a good idea to keep on hand, the, the stuff if you're going to be shooting a little bit more and and, and sort of things to consider even if you're not going to be shooting a huge amount that, that can go wrong that you don't want to really get caught with your pants down. So uh, just something to to mention in addition to that before we start getting into specifics. Um, some of the parts are user replaceable um, because some of the parts only require you to take the gun down, like field strip to the point that you would take it down to clean it. And the parts are easily interchangeable. Some parts require a little bit more knowledge of the firearm and you should probably see an armor or a gunsmith for that stuff if you're not qualified to do it. And then on some guns, um, parts cannot be taken out of a bag and stuck in the gun. They need to be fitted to the firearm and fitting should be done by someone competent. Um, says the guy who fitted a 1911 extractor yesterday because it was shit out the factory. (laughs) 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 Uh, So with with that said, 
Shall we, shall we start with some of the most important things that people should have on hand for firearm maintenance, but that absolutely no one actually has on hand? Yes. Because you don't have to use it. Guns need decent lube. And I am not a big fan of anything that apparently cleans, lubricates, protects, uh, warns against passing geese or any other shit. I want to lube my gun with lube. Uh, you don't like CLP? No, I like lube. And not, not KY. KY. <laughs> well, <laughs> it'll work, but um, decent lube makes it. Tried. <laughs> <laughs> Pat Rogers was famous for sticking Vagisil on guys' guns if they didn't work, and they'd work for a bit. Um, mechanical devices need lubricant. No matter, you know, I, I, your, your worms, whoever may have told you that you must keep your gun completely dry because oil attracts dirt. Um, guns that are completely dry, as a general rule, don't work particularly well. Some are more forgiving of that. Um, generally, polymer pistols, where you don't have a huge amount of metal-to-metal contact, are more forgiving of a lack of lube. Uh, you know, metal guns where you've got long slide rails with a slide running on, on, on a long slide rail are going to very quickly let you know if you don't have lube. And, and if your gun's not properly lubed, it's not going to work. It's often not going to work properly. You're going to accelerate wear. Uh, and lube is, they're not all the same. You know, you, you, you'll find that a good lube will... will Put up with a lot more shooting will, will last a lot longer so you know i've 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 had guns where i've run thousands of rounds on, on on the same sort of set of lube and at the end of it they were still lube um and i've seen other guns where very quickly you know with a thinner oil you know a couple of hundred rounds in and, and that oil so that that loops all sort of burned on so um shameless plug my guns are all lubed with the, the various dvc oils and greases that our very own gas does and he's not paying me to say this, um, but I've had I've been running them for for a while now. I've had guns caught in torrential downpours. I've had guns that I carry. Um, I've had guns that have, you know. I had a gun that I think I shot five thousand rounds in three weeks through. Um, that I, I that didn't get cleaned. It just got topped up with with gas's loop, and it was still wet. Um, so. Follow the manufacturer's directions. Um, you you, you want to lube the right bits and not the wrong bits. On some pistols, if you get you, know, you can make the gun less reliable by by lubing the wrong bits. Uh, strike a channel. <laughs> exactly. Uh, What's that? Strike a channel. <laughs> and what applies to one gun may not necessarily apply to another gun. And there's a great example. You know, often often with uh, with sort of hammer fired guns, guys would put a bit of oil in the firing pin channel. And you don't want to do that on, on a Glock or, or most likely on an M&P or a P10 or any of those sort of guns. Uh, so you need to understand the, the particular requirements of your gun. Uh, you know, generally slide rails, the top of the barrel where it, where it sort of meets the slide. Um, and on most guns, the most important place to lube is where the chamber locks in on the slide. So if, it, if it's a Glock or anything using the Peter modification of the, the Browning system where you've got the big square ledge, a drop of oil uh, there, and if you've got like a, a CZ75 or a 1911 where you've got the two or three lugs, um, then uh, at, at, at that is probably the most important sort of lube spot. So talking about uh, lube, other than the fact that my guns are also all lubricated with uh, DVC products. Gadgets. Um, yeah, gadgets. At the moment, <laughs> most of them are, are, are uh, lubricated with the oil even though at the moment all the handguns that I intend to shoot, plus the gun that I carry, is uh, lubed with the grease, which I'm busy testing for gas. Uh, I've been very impressed with it so far, uh, and I'm sure it will continue to impress. Uh, I, I 
run his oils on competition guns for many thousands of rounds and they've never let me down. Um, it really sticks to the guns, which is what you want. So on that point, um, if you watch videos of guys in the States, depending on which state they're in specifically, but in the States, a lot of them want to run thinner oils. And the main reason they're trying to run thinner oils is because they have cooler temperatures than we, we do. Uh, thicker oils in cold temperature can gum up um, and cause some issues with your guns running. In South Africa, it doesn't get that cold. Like running a thicker oil that stays in your gun for longer is a wise idea over here. So if you can get a heavier weight and, and Gaz's, again, shameless plug, uh, Gaz's lube meets that requirement. Uh, it, it is a, a thicker oil. But running a thicker oil in South Africa is a really good idea on pretty much all your guns. Um, it'll stick on the gun longer. It won't flash off. You won't need to lube it as often. And that old theory about it attracts dust is rubbish. Um, it, it lubricates, but it also carries dirt and stuff away, which is why occasionally we need to relube guns as all the gunk and stuff gets carried out of the action by the oil. Uh, if you don't have oil, your gun's probably not going to work. You can accelerate wear. And if you do end up getting some, if you drop your gun in the dirt and it's not lubed, you're going to have a much worse time in terms of firearm wear if you shoot it than you would with a loop. Now, it's going to be crunchy and it's not going to be pleasant for the first couple of rounds with loop, but it'll carry that shit out of the gun uh, and, and cause you less damage in the end. And, and remember that a wet, dirty gun <laughs> will work substantially better than a clean, dry gun. Um, you know, white glove tests and that are, are, are ludicrous. Um, a lot of people, unfortunately, clean, you know, they, they think their gun needs to be spotlessly clean and dry. And, and the reason is because a corporal in, in the army told them that they needed to. Uh, but as a general rule, uh, you know, within reason, obviously, and yes, you should probably clean your guns from time to time. But a, a wet, dirty gun is going to be more reliable than a clean, dry gun uh, in general. Stab. The last thing I want to say about Lou before we'll let Gaz get into this a little bit because he understands Lou a little bit better than the other two. Um, <laughs> if you have any uh, uh, sort of carbon steel, blue steel on your gun, um, that needs to be looped. You cannot have it dry like the, the dude in the army told you and have it spotless. It'll rust. Okay, It needs a coat of oil. Really thin. You don't need anything that makes the gun all like slick and slippery on your hammer and things. But if you have like blue steel... Uh, you need to have some layer of protectant over that or it will rust. And if you forget it in the safe for six months in that unlubed state, it will pit uh, and, and it'll look much worse even when it's clean than it will ever look when it's like lubed to pieces, but it doesn't rust. Uh, so bear that in mind, guns that stay in storage or are going into storage for a long time should be lubed uh, and like covered in. Some some rare exceptions, things like wooden grips and things you need to be careful of. Some rifles you need to be careful of with the stocks, but handguns in general, you want them you want them coated in a loop in, in a coat of oil before you store them for a long period of time. Yes, tell us about lube. So if we continue with the lube thing, you guys covered a lot of the good points. Um, the the journey to develop the lube for DV techno, DVC technology started when I couldn't find an oil that sort of met my requirements in terms of lubrication properties. So most of what we find is what Terry was talking about in the CLP range, that cleaner lubrication preservative range. It does all of those things to a certain point, but it doesn't necessarily do any of them well. So I went through an, a process of developing something that worked really well as far as lubrication goes. So to keep in mind, none of the DVC lubricants are designed to do any sort of protecting 
uh, corrosion resistance or anything like that. They are literally supposed to be high-performance lubricants. Uh, we started with the oil because that seems to be the most generic thing that we go to. And we went with a higher viscosity oil so that we get a higher performing lubricant. In other words, it's going to last for higher round counts. You have to oil it less. It's not going to flash as easily. We also went through a process of testing the, the lubricant's properties under very low and extremely high temperatures. And we had very little viscosity increase in very cold temperatures. And in very high temperatures, we basically almost got the lubricant to boil. And once it had cooled down, it had basically returned itself to its former self. It had gone back to being an oil. So that those were two great properties that we got out of it. The grease is a new thing because there are certain applications for certain guns where grease is better. And there's also certain parts in guns where lubricating it with grease is better. So if we look at the 1911s, on your sear hammer engagement, grease can often be better for the gun. Glocks, that area between the connector and the trigger bar, adding some grease in there lasts longer and it lubricates that area for a longer period. So that's where the grease came into it. And the grease can do the same as the oil. It can lubricate just about any gun, but obviously you're going to have to test that and see what you want to get out of it. And so the the bit of testing that I've done with the uh, with the grease so far and I, I don't typically run grease on guns. Uh, I run grease in some guns, things like uh, in, in the magazine releases of 1911s, for instance, uh, because it goes in there, it stays in there. It's never going to cook off. It's never going to get like gummed up and stuff. Um, what I've liked about the DVC, and this sounds like a DVC stick grease advert at the moment, but <laughs> bear with us. We'll get to other parts in a moment. <laughs> if you call um, in the next 10 minutes, I'm not going to answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um I, I've really liked the way that this grease applies. It's it's not it's thick, but it's it's not like the grease that you usually pack bearings with for your car. Uh, once you spread it out a little bit, like if I if I lube the the contact points, like the, the lugs on on the nineteen eleven, once I've racked it a couple of times, it looks like a coat of oil. It'll obviously stay on there for longer because it's grease, but it looks like oil. It doesn't look like thick clumped together grease. Uh, I'm really liking this stuff. So the important thing is that your gun is lubed. Um, you know, grease, oil, doesn't really matter. Um, what's, what's important is that you keep it oiled. And if, if you need to, top up the loop uh, and, and, and keep an eye on that sort of thing because it's going to keep your gun running. The, the next part I think we should discuss, and it's one that people don't often think of as a part, and it's a really important one, is magazines. On a semi-automatic or an automatic firearm, the magazine is, is the heart of, of, of the machine. You know, if you take your pistol apart, um, and separated, you're going to see about a third of that field strip gun is the magazine. And people seem to think that mags last forever. A magazine is a magazine, um, and you can do whatever you want to it. And and that is not true. Mags can be, you know, if if, if feed lips get get dinged up or damaged, um, you can start having issues with reliability. If bodies get damaged, um, and spring, you know, people think of springs going, and that's one of the things that can happen with them but it's not the biggest thing that can happen with them. So, you know, you want to have, the more magazines you've got, the more you can spread that load. If you've got two magazines for your gun and you're trying to run huge amounts of rounds through them, well, you're accelerating wear on the spring because springs get worn out by, by cycles. Um, you, you Obviously, you know, the, the feed lips are going to take a pounding. They're getting dropped on the ground, stood on, all of that sort of thing. So some advice with magazines, as a general rule, um, your factory, the, the factory, except for with 1911s, 
and except for if Mechgar make a mag for the gun, uh, as a general rule, your best bet is to go with the factory mags for that. Uh, 1911s can be quite sensitive to mags, and, and a lot of them ship with mags that aren't the best in the world. So, you know, there's a couple of really good 1911 mag manufacturers uh, off the top of my head. Wilson, um, Trip, uh, Metalform um, are kind of ones that, that, that come to mind. There's, there's others. And you may find that, that Gun A really likes Wilson magazines and Gun B hates Wilson magazines and wants metal form magazines. So 1911s are one of the few guns where, where aftermarket mags are, are generally a good idea um, and find mags that work for your gun. So don't go out and buy 10 of whatever brand your mate recommended because your mate gun might not like them. Um, if Mechgar make a mag for the gun, Mechgar make the factory mags for a huge amount of manufacturers. Uh, Walther... Um, Thayer, uh, I'm now forgetting some, but uh, uh, <laughs> Walther, Steyer, um, Smith & Wesson, uh, they're OEM for a huge amount of manufacturing. They make really good magazines. And, and if uh, CZ now ship with, with Mechgar mags, uh, generally if there's a Mechgar mag available for your gun, it's a good option. Um, other than that, my experience with a lot of aftermarket magazines is that they are steaming piles of shit um, and that your gun... I've seen a lot of reliable guns made unreliable by using crappy magazines. So get good mags, replace them when they stop working, either fix them if they can be fixed or throw them away. Don't, uh, don't hang on to them and let it get confused with all your other mags uh, because that's problematic. Um, and then, you know, I, I like to have carry mags and range mags, or if it's a competition gun, practice mags and match mags. Uh, what I don't want to be doing is, is you know, taking the mag that I carry in the gun to protect my life with, stripping it of rounds, feeding it up, shooting it, dropping it on the concrete floor, standing on it, letting it getting beat, beat up, and then going, awesome, I'm going to now load it up with bullets again and carry on. So if you can't buy magazines for your gun, and ideally you want to have a bare minimum of five or six mags for every semi-automatic pistol you own, and that's a bare minimum. I mean, that's a lot less than I'm happy with, but... Uh, that's that's somewhere to start. If you can't get that, um, and you go, well, it's fine. It comes with two mags in the box. Until you lose one, you know, you lose one and one gets damaged, and now all of a sudden, well, your friend in America who was going to try and post you one can't, and you're now stuck with a really useless short-handled club. So use, uh, you know, check your mags, vet your mags. If you're going to add extensions or anything like that to your mag, vet them thoroughly. But you know, take care of your magazines and, and consider that as a as a maintenance and a and a wear and tear item on your. So, <clears throat> Kaz has uh, made some some clock mags live not very long. I, mean, I suppose they still live relatively long. But uh, when you are doing things to increase the capacity of your magazines, uh, things like extended shoes and things, and then you need to go for probably a slightly longer spring to make that stuff feed reliably. You're, you're creating a lot more tension. You're also jamming in a lot more rounds, which is compressing everything down further than it, it's used to. Uh, you can make magazines bow by doing that. Um, you can also, if it's a really sort of crappy magazine, you can probably make them crack. Um, that's one way that you can ruin them. Uh, and in that instance, you generally just throw them away. Uh, there, there are some minor exceptions. You can probably recover uh, steel 1911 mags, you can probably recover like steel 2011 mags, uh, but there's a lot of things that you're just never going to get them back into the right dimensions ever again. And they're effectively, even if you recover the the, the STI or the, the 2011 mags and the 1911 mags, 
those are going to be practice mags from that point forward because you'll never be able to trust them ever again. Um, something else to keep in mind with magazines is a magazine is there to feed ammo into your gun. That is its primary purpose. And that is it. You don't need see-through mags. If you find, I know that there are some uh, uh, AR-15 mags that have windows in them where the base mag is pretty damn good and they've added an extra feature that works. But buying the clear magazine in the hopes that you can see how much ammo you have in the gun, but you never get to shoot it because it won't feed, is silly. Just buy mags that work. Um, Derek's point on testing mags is very important uh, if it's not an OEM mag. I have several different brands of 1911 mags and several different 1911s. And some of the mags just work in one of the guns and they just like don't work in the other. Like if I put them in my lightweight commander, I'm pretty much guaranteed I'm going to have a problem at some point while I'm shooting that mag. Um, if I run a McCormick in the gun, it runs flawlessly. If I run the, the Colt mags and it, it runs flawlessly. Um, you need to test that. Uh, other thing with, with um, magazine maintenance, other than replacing parts, uh, you can wear out things like followers. You can certainly wear out uh, springs. Um, like I said, mag bodies are essentially disposable at some point because eventually they're going to reach a point where they're not serviceable. Um, you need to clean mags too. And you do not need to lube mags. Okay? No. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, no lube. So, so don't lube your mag because it's going to feed better. Um, and remember that you do need to clean them. Uh, now with some bakes of guns, uh, Glock mags, for instance, uh, are pretty damn robust and they run pretty well even when they are dirty. It doesn't mean that you get to like pour sand them and expect them to work. But if I get a couple of specks of dust in 1911 mag, I'm having problems uh, where I have shot clock mags that have been in piles of dirt and they ran fine for months after that before getting cleaned. That's I don't, I'm not advocating that you do that. You are messing up the magazines in that process, but they're, they're much more hardy and much more forgiving of a ne neglect of maintenance than some other guns. Just bear that in mind. Particularly entirely steel magazines tend to be uh, a little bit finicky in terms of cleanliness or they won't run. Yeah, so yeah. magazines at the end of the day are something that is overlooked in maintenance. It does need to be paid attention to in maintenance. Um, if we sort of look at moving on to the, the next sort of area in the gun, I think we need to talk about springs in general. There's many different shapes of springs springs that have different applications in handguns and different life cycles and you need to understand what those are going to be and they are something that need to be maintained springs can break even through not using high round going through high round count stuff just from general manipulations on the gun or maybe the spring being activated in the gun for long periods of time can fatigue that spring to a point of either failure or causing malfunctions on your gun and boys girls patchy helicopters Listen very, very carefully. You do not retension a spring by stretching it. What you do is you fuck it up. When you when you stretch that spring, it may feel a little bit better for a cycle or two, but you you you've kind of gone backwards and you've made it worse. Uh, just buy a new spring. They're not that expensive, and if you're firing the sort of round counts where you're needing to replace springs, you spent a whole lot of money on ammunition. Spending 150 bucks on a spring is a is a drop in the ocean compared to the ammo you've shot to get there. So that brings us on to the first part that I would recommend that you, other than spare mags, that you actually keep stock of. Um, if, if especially if you're shooting a little bit higher round counts, if you're shooting low round counts, I would probably keep one spare spring at the minimum. If you're shooting higher round counts, uh, there are again super brand dependent and 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 uh, distributor dependent. 
there are times when you can't find the springs that you need for your gun. Um, not your Glocks, of course, but some, some other guns that you, you can occasionally run into some problems finding them uh, or, or finding them in the time frame in which you need them. I would keep at least one recoil spring, spare recoil spring on hand or recoil spring assembly if you've got a gun that's got a good sort of captive system. Mm. Uh, at the very least, if you're shooting higher round counts, I have probably, I don't know, 10 recoil springs in my range bag. Not because I'm going to need them at once, but at some point I'm going to need them. Well, Terry's laughing because I might need well, them so at once to get a gun you to You shoot 1911, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the good point is that springs don't go off through not using them. Yes, they can They can live in your range bag and you don't have to worry about them. Or in your yeah. safe or in your cupboard or whatever, wherever you want to put them. So recoil springs would be the first thing that I would, I would keep uh, at least a spare of. Um, now, bear in mind that when you keep a spare of a recoil spring, I mean a spare, sometimes springs are not what they say they are. And sometimes the spring that you get is bad out the packaging. Um, highly, well, less likely, much less likely from an OEM spring. But if you're running any form of aftermarket spring in your gun, um, they're rated slightly differently, potentially, uh, just based on how they measure it. Uh, and if you're running things like progressive springs, I've had some some stunning examples where a progressive wasn't anywhere near what it was rated at. But the spring that came out the same package next to it was perfectly fine. So if you're only keeping one, bear in mind that you are you may stick something in your gun that actually makes it worse uh, when you try and replace the spring. Keep two, uh, I think is the message there. <laughs> Long convoluted way of getting there. Yeah, so my, like my my standard sort of go-to on any of my guns and all of the springs in the gun is I want to have at least one spare of each spring in the gun at any given time. It doesn't matter the spring. I mean, if you look at a firing pin safety plunger spring, they don't often break, but they often get lost. So there's a level of maintenance in that too. Maybe your spring doesn't get broken, you lost it, but now you're sitting with a gun in pieces, which should be taken apart by an authorized gunsmith, but or you, all, you all end up in, in those sort of situations. So keep that in mind. A spare spring of each spring in your gun is a good idea. I own a Dremel. I'm basically a gunsmith. I just want to get that out there. Um, no, no, you're, 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 no, just no, no. You should barely be allowed to be in them. Um, Corn, I, thought we, <laughs> I thought we brought you up better than that, dude. <laughs> So recoil springs are probably the springs you're going to replace the most regularly. Uh, and as a general rule, and, and this is is not casting concrete because I'll give you some examples where it's not, but you, you'll generally not go wrong by replacing your recoil spring every 5,000 hours uh, or 5,000 cycles. That, that, as a general rule, will kind of get you through. There are some guns, uh, some of the HK9 mills have got a 20,000 round lifespan on, on their spring system. Gen 4 and Gen 5 Glock 9 mils at 10,000 rounds. I've yet to feel a difference. I change them then because it makes me feel better. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're generally going pretty strong then. On some guns, like like officer-style 1911s, some of those every 500 rounds. 500 rounds. Um, and, and people don't realize that. They kind of shoot it a bit, they go, it works, and then they don't realize that that's been sort of worn out. So as a, as a very rough rule of thumb, um, I know with 1911, some guys recommend replacing recoil springs every two or 3,000 rounds. That's also going to depend on, on the weight and the load and all of that sort of thing. Um, but as a general rule, you're going to be needing to look at replacing recoil springs every 5,000 rounds. If it's a gun where you're running aftermarket lighter recoil springs, that that may be accelerated. Um, you know, so so that's something to bear in mind. You know, with competition guns and that, 
and I'm not a big fan of using the logic of, oh, well, this I bought a 14-round spring and I've shot 5,000 rounds, so now it's a 12-pound spring. Because if you actually feel that spring, what it what it starts becoming is not a spring. I'm not a metallurgist, nor am I a spring expert. But take a spring that's been shot out, and you'll feel that it it's not just lighter; it's not springy, to use a very technical engineering term. Anymore. They also they also shorten, so they don't just lose yeah. poundage; uh, they they shorten. And the problem is, they shorten sufficiently. You might have a gun that doesn't return to battery because the spring just physically isn't long enough to do that. But you also have, in that instance, when you fire the gun, you have a bit of free travel that isn't under spring tension initially. Now, granted, the gun will be in lock, so it's it's not super the end of the world. But once the gun unlocks, you're going to have a bit of free travel that's going to, your slide is going to move substantially faster than it would if it was under continuous spring tension. And that's going to just add to to the wear and the, and the unpleasantness of shooting that gun at that point. And then related to recoil springs, but not, not just recoil springs, all springs. When you replace them, take the old one and throw it away. I've made the mistake, and I know lots of guys have made the mistake of, oh, I'm going to keep this as a spare in case of an emergency. And then it gets messed around with a whole lot of other springs. And then we don't know if it's a new spring or an old spring or what spring it is. So just take it out the gun, throw it in the dustbin, put a fresh one in. Oh, so you, you mean that I can't just put it back in my spares drawer as a spare and then I just like cycle between two springs for 100,000 <laughs> rounds because <laughs> this one only shot 10,000 rounds and replaced it with that one. Yeah. That one is 50,000 rounds already. But <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, uh, and that's going to apply to sort of any gun. You know, obviously on competition guns, a lot of guys like to run a lighter recoil spring because it makes the gun feel like it recoils less. Um, and you, but Bear in mind, I've, I've seen that with uh, with guys' guns where all of a sudden the gun works great and at 1,100 rounds it stops working uh, because that spring's now got a little bit tired and you were running the ragged edge. So one of the things that came up there quite a bit is at this round count, at that round count. Um, it's important to keep a shooting log. Uh, you don't have to log every single round you fire. You can, great, but you don't have to log every single round. But if you can have a log for your gun to like the nearest 100 or 150 rounds that's fired through it, uh, that'll allow you to keep up to date on your maintenance cycles. Uh, if you don't log it at all well, you're using a best case of when to replace things. And a lot of people, people who don't maintain their guns, massively overestimate the rounds that they've shot. And people who shoot a lot underestimate the number of rounds that they've shot uh, by by quite a margin. So Guys who shoot a lot may end up running 15,000, 20,000 rounds through a gun and they go, oh shit, I haven't replaced the recoil spring. Where you know some some guys will say that they've shot 50,000 rounds through their gun and it hasn't left the safe. Um, so keep it, it doesn't matter how you keep it, but try and keep a shooting lock, like I said, to the nearest 100, 150 rounds. Um, you could probably even be a little bit more lax than that, though. I, I like to try and keep it to like a nearest 100 rounds. What I do is I just, and it, it's as simple as you've probably got a smartphone in your pocket. It's probably got some sort of notes function. So I put a notes with with the gun description. And if I go to the range with 200 rounds and I leave with nothing, I add 200 to the list. If I go to the range with yep. 200 rounds and I leave with 50, I add 150 to the, the list. Even I can do this basic maths. And then, uh, you know, every so often you kind of just total it up and, and see where you are. And it, it can be very enlightening as well. 
Yeah. And your your log doesn't necessarily have to be super accurate either. There's times where you f- might forget to fill in that log or you have some sort of issue where that document gets corrupted or whatever if you're using an electronic system. If you're accurate to within a thousand rounds, it's not going to make any difference realistically to the maintenance intervals. Jeff, yeah, it's not that at 5,001 rounds, the recoil spring is going to snap in half and the slide is going to impale you in your face. Um, it's just that... It's it's about due for replacement, and if you're not keeping a record, if you're shooting a reasonable amount, one, at least once a year, and if you're not shooting a huge amount every two years, it's not a terrible idea to stick some fresh springs in there. You know, springs get get you know a spring gets a nick on it, um, and all of a sudden it's a completely different machine to what it what it should be. And so, so when I mentioned as well, you know, those those ratings you get on aftermarket springs. You generally can't compare them across brands. So a 12-pound Wolf spring, a 12-pound Emantec spring, and a 12-pound ISMI spring very often be three totally different springs. You also have to be aware that there are different styles of springs. I did mention progressives. You get linears and progressives, and uh, those are not the same thing. You you can't really take a 14-pound a linear spring out of your gun, stick in a 14-pound progressive, and think that it's going to be the same gun. Uh, might be more pleasant to shoot, uh, but it might not function, uh, or you might get that you need to replace the springs uh, much sooner with the progressives than you would need to with a with a, a linear spring. For, for that in mind, my experience of progressive springs has not been good. <laughs> not, neither is mine. Uh, I still run them in some of my competition guns, uh, but I had to I have to go up in poundage quite a bit to get guns that work. Uh, it's just it's fine <laughs> in competition guns. Don't do it on your don't do it on your carry guns, please. Next spring that that is generally quite a serious wear part on on guns is the trigger spring. Um, good, you know, trigger springs get worked quite hard with with firing and dry firing, and that's something to bear in mind with trigger springs, especially is that you need to factor in the dry fire counts as well, not just the live fire counts, because you know if you're dry firing a gun, you're doing you're doing a lot more repetition, so. You've dry fired 20,000 times and shot 1,000 rounds to the gun. Well, that trigger springs are 20,000, 21,000 repetitions on. So, you know, it depends. I know that like some of the older Beretta 92 trigger springs, um, I think we're supposed to be replaced at every 5,000 rep- uh, 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 cycles. Um, I, I was told by someone much cleverer than me on, on the, the, the shadow, the SPO1 shadow guns, you want to be replacing that trigger spring every 15,000 cycles. Uh, the shadow 2 should is apparently lasts a bit longer. Me, I'm still going to replace mine every 15,000 cycles. Uh, it's cheap enough. And it's, you know, when a trigger spring goes down, it's going to go down either in the middle of a match or a gunfight because just that's the way these things work. Um, so you want to be looking at that. And once again, depending on your gun, every on the outside, 10 or 15,000 cycles, it's not a bad idea to be replacing that spring. And if you're doing those sort of cycles, it means you once again, you're spending time. So, so trigger return springs um, on CZ specifically, I've seen them break in matches much more than I would like to like admit to. They, are, they're not unreliable, but they are a common failure point in that style of gun. That is another one where I would recommend that you keep a spare in your, in your range bag, that you can take the range with you. With all provision, go be a certified armor before you replace it. But uh, keep, keep one of those in your bag. It is going to ruin your stage, but it doesn't have to ruin your match. Um, the, uh, the ones where that probably does not apply is 1911s with the leaf spring system. Uh, there are I've some, new, 
No, no, no. Like I, I'm just saying that you can't just walk to the to the um, to the safety area, yank the spring out, stick in a new leaf, and think you're going to run the gun like you can with other things. I mean, you you might break them, you might wear them out, but it needs to be already fitted to the gun so that you have the correct tension on everything. Uh, or you need to have something like a zeroing bay where you can test it before you re-enter the match. Uh, it's it's not a drop-in part in the 1911. Nothing's drop-in in the 1911, including magazines. Yeah, nothing is. <laughs> <laughs> Gaz and I discussed this earlier. He was like, so what spares do you keep for a 1911? Four extra guns. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and on this, you know, I, I, I'm going to name drop here, but I, I had a discussion with Angus Abdul from CZ Custom last year about this and, and he made the point to someone who was going on about trigger springs he said i mean angus has shot a lot of rounds through a lot of cz he said to the guy do you know how many trigger springs i've broken in my life zero was i replaced not because he has magic trigger trigger springs but because what he does is he replaces them before they break uh, and this is something it, it's one of those peculiar things that most of us with our cars we understand that there's a service schedule and and every 10 15 20 000 as we take a car, we service it. Uh, we don't wait until something breaks and then go, oh, shit, I need to fix my car. Uh, with our guns, there seems to be almost like a, a point of pride with people that they'll shoot it till it breaks and then we must fix that. And if something's broken, then there, there may be a bit of a, a, a knock-on effect. So it's a really good idea with, with parts like that, replace them regularly. Once again, it's not an expensive part. If, if, if you're shooting a lot of competitions and you're shooting the three IPSC nationals a year, in the great scheme of how much money you've spent on this game, sticking an 85 rand trigger spring in your gun three times a year because you've got nationals, um, as opposed to traveling halfway across the country and spending all that money to have the trigger spring break on round one of a 32-round stage uh, and throwing away 160 points is not clever. Uh, and if, if that's all you're throwing gun, away. Because you well, yeah. have a spare spring or someone will yeah. give you one if you have some weird oddball gun and you don't have spare parts. Well, yeah. Uh, and if it's a self-defense gun, you're you're even worse off. Uh, and something else to bear in mind with springs that people often don't realize is these super high-tech coatings of DVC, I mean DVC, sorry, guys, um, <laughs> NDLC or DLC or PVD or whatever are generally not applied to your springs. Mm. Uh, so they environmental factors can can destroy them it's why it's important to be able to get spare one yeah i think Absolutely. we all we all at some point forget that springs are made of metal um they're mechanical and we sort of in the guns we on some of the springs we can push them to their limits you know some of the the way the springs are manufactured and how they're applied in the gun you can be pushing that metal or that application to its limits and therefore, it needs that maintenance. Springs are metal at the end of the day. They are going to wear out. They're just not going to wear out in the linear way that we think that they're going to wear out. Yep. So based on that really important, like I said, um, based on what you're doing with the spring, if you're shooting like nine mil steel challenge rounds at like 100 and uh, whatever, the minimum power factor that your gun cycles, um, your springs might... Yeah. <laughs> Your, your your springs might last a little bit longer. I would still replace them on on the recommended cycle for that. Okay, but they might last a little bit longer. If you're shooting uh, Ipsic Major with a forty and you're running like slightly lighter springs, those things are not going to last. You're going to replace those things like every thousand rounds. Um, not a major issue. They're 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 not super expensive, but bear in mind that you need to subtract some some rounds from the original estimate. Yeah, and. 
Cornet is absolutely correct. We do need to keep in mind, though, like Tarek mentioned earlier, with the trigger springs, for example, that's one of the springs that's an example. It doesn't matter whether you're dry firing or live firing. Mechanically, the spring has to complete and achieve the same task, whether there's a round going off or not. And that also plays a big role in it. Yep. That includes sitting at the TV and clicking at it. Not that you're supposed to be doing that, but like lots of guys like to sit and click, sit and click, sit and click. That that adds up in the, the day. You know, with the with the, the Gen One to Four Glocks, it was quite a quite a common thing on trigger jobs is to put a heavier trigger spring in because because of the way a Glock trigger works, that spring is pulling the trigger. So heavier trigger spring made makes the trigger lighter. But what happens is that springs under even more force because it's pulling on the trigger all the time. It, it's pulling harder on itself all the time, and they break sooner. Um, so if you were a current production Gen 3 or Gen 4 with a factory trigger, trigger return spring, they last a hell of a lot longer than, than the earlier ones. Not that the earlier ones broke uh, super regularly, but if you shot a lot, you were going to break one uh, if you didn't replace them. The newer ones last longer. But if you're going to be sticking a, an aftermarket one in there that's going to make the trigger lighter, those are going to break a lot a lot sooner. So there's also a part that with an aftermarket one I'm generally recommending guys replace those every five thousand rounds. And that's yeah, that spring I, that spring in itself is actually an excellent example because when the gun's loaded or the, the triggers forward or the gun's cocked, whichever way you're looking at it, that spring is working. That spring is under tension, it's under load. When the trigger's back or the trigger's been pulled and the gun is not loaded or cocked, that spring is in its relaxed position. That's its natural state. So that's also something to keep in mind. That moves us on to the uh Onto the next spring that is fairly uh, universal between guns. They might have slightly different names. Uh, firing pin springs, strike springs, um, those get pretty much as much wear as as the recoil spring. Uh, they tend to last longer because they're not taking the same uh, degree of force. But that's another component where I would probably recommend that you keep at least one on, on hand. Uh, in some guns, 1911s, like Series 70, and, and before that, um, your firing pin spring is, is a part of your safety system. Uh, and those do shorten over time, making your gun uh, more prone to, to firing when dropped. Um, so part of the safety system on that gun, uh, on, on other guns, they're, they're an integral part of making the gun work, like on striker-fired guns. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the maintenance cycle is on those typically. Um, I, I run like extra power springs in the 1911s, uh, and they, they last a very long time. I've never had to replace a striker spring on a Glock Though I mean I'm I'm only like I don't know, 20, 25,000 rounds into Glock. So if if you buy a Wolf, especially a nineteen eleven trigger a, a recoil spring kit and a lot of their recoil spring kits, they'll come with a, a firing pin uh, spring in the back. Uh, there's a clue in there. Change them both at the same time. Uh, especially yeah, if you've got a Series seventy gun or if you've got a if you've got a something without a firing pin safety. Um, that is part of it. That is part of keeping that that firing pin from being able to move forward under inertia and settle around. Um, it's on a lot of you know a lot of the guys you know who are running competition double action single action guns are running reduced power um, firing pin springs uh, in in their firing pins to make the gun, so that the guns are more reliable with a lighter trigger. Uh, so that's something to bear in mind because if that that loosens up, it's even less forgiving of, of a knock or a bump or something. So probably not a terrible idea with that to look at replacing it when you replace your, your trigger spring. Um, striker springs, firing pin, they last a long time. Um, I, I don't think you're going to lose anything by changing all the springs and you're going to be 10,000 rounds. Um, if, 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 it's, 
you know, even if it's a spring with a longer cycle, if every 10,000 rounds you chase, change all the springs in your gun, are you going to be changing some springs early? Probably. Are you going to be doing any harm? No. Nope. You're going to be doing it's more good, good than Yeah. Good preventative maintenance. Exactly. So, you know, if, you, if you're running a, a gun that has a, a 5,000 round cycle on a recoil spring, on every second recoil spring, just change at least the firing pin spring, the trigger spring, the extractor spring. Hammer springs, very, very, really wear out. Um, hammer springs in general, main springs just generally seem to last forever. Yeah, they, but it's because they're like, I mean, they're they're big mothers, and they're like, generally not under a huge amount of load, and they they generally they don't exceed the elastic limits of their movement. You know, they, so um, and and if you replace your hammer spring, especially on a double action, single action gun, a fresh heavier hammer spring is going to make your trigger a bit heavier. So that's the one spring I'm not going to replace on the rig, but the others, every ten thousand rounds, is probably not bad. Makes sense. Firing pins and strikers? Firing pins wear out. They break. They snap. All sorts of weird things happen. Um, they get chipped and shit happens. Uh, I, I want to have a spare firing pin on hand uh, for any gun I want to be shooting a lot of uh, because I've seen and, – and, and it those are also one of those things where you see weird flukes. Um, I had a firing pin on a, on a Colt 1911, which 1911 firing pins as a rule – I mean, who's ever heard of one breaking? Um, I had one break uh, on a course with Keita last year. Uh, halfway through the course, the firing pin snapped in half. Um, and that gun wasn't deep in, in round count yet either. No, I mean, that, that gun probably probably didn't have, I'd have to check my notes, but I, I think it had four or 5,000 rounds through it when that broke. Yep. Um, it, it was a, a, a part with a, a flaw in the metal. Um, I've seen... CZ firing pins break. I've seen Glock firing pins break. Um, shit happens. Uh, so that's something that that can sort of it's it's under a lot of you know if you think about the the lifestyle of a firing pin if it's hammer fired it's getting smashed in the ass by a hammer. Um, it's then smashing into a breech face and then rapidly stopping when it smacks into a primer and then you've got thirty five thousand psi pushing back on it. Um, it, it, it can be quite a, an unpleasant life. So that's something that, that can get broken. I've also seen them wear, you know, shorten over time, that sort of thing. So, yeah, firing pins. I In, in my range box, one of the things I have for, for guns I shoot a lot is, is a spare firing pin or a spare striker. Yep. And yeah, depending and, on how you – sorry, guys, go ahead. I, I think with those sort of parts, there's, there, there's no strict round count on them but there is a level of you making sure that the part is in good working order, like checking it's not rounding, shorting, um, maybe for cracks or maybe even in the surface finish for any sort of flaws or, or odd wear marks, those kinds of things. Even from inspecting your spent cases, primers to see how that indent looks every now and then, it's not going to hurt anything to know that it's all all right. You know, if you start piercing primers, you're going to accelerate the wear on that firing pin a hell of a lot. Extractors, once again, extractors can wear just from, you know, uh, 1911 extractors being slightly different because they're their own spring. 1911s being slightly different. Um, extractors, one of the things that can happen is that they can wear. They can also chip. Um, they can get damaged um, from, uh, you know, guys trying to load their rounds directly into the chamber instead of through the magazine, uh, clearing double feeds or that sort of thing. Um, case head separation will often blow an extractor out of a gun. So, Extractors can, can wear or they can get damaged. Uh, my my general advice if someone asks is on, on things like firing pins and, and extractors and 
every 20,000 rounds, uh, even if it's if there's nothing wrong with it or if it's not too, super problematic, is it a bad idea to change it on a modern pistol where it's going to be plug-and-play and, and relatively cost-effective? Uh, throw it out and stick it in your 1911, boys, um, if you're running Aftex or an Aftex style, have spare uh, extractor springs in your bag. Um, they don't just wear out, so that they take a long time to wear out, but they do wear out. Um, they go missing because they are absolutely tiny. So if you're running an Aftec or something like an Aftec, something that's, that's based on the Aftec design, have spare springs. Um, if you're running a traditional 1911 internal extractor, you have to have a spare extractor that's been fitted to the gun and verified to work. Um, fitting isn't simply the act of tensioning it. Uh, you, some guns, you, you might just need to add a little bit more tension or take a little bit of tension away to get them to work. And that's relatively simple and easy to do for someone who understands 1911s on the range. Uh, but if, if it's completely unfitted, uh, there is some filing that's going to need to happen to get that, that extractor to work. Uh, and it's going to require some testing. So if you're running 1911s, you, you need to have a spare uh, that's, that's already been verified to work in your gun uh, and inspect them for cracks. Uh, they, they, have, they can crack. And if it breaks in the middle of a match, that's, that's a bad day. That's not something you're going to recover from and recover the stage. You're going to be out of it for that stage, definitely. If it breaks on your, your carry gun, well, you now have a very nice club. Um, with, with regards to Aftex, just as an aside, they're, they're quite a controversial sort of part. Some people swear by them. Some people swear at them. Um, I have, I've seen, I don't have any experience with them in 45. I've heard some good things though. In 9 mil and 40 guns, I have taken guns that did not work and sticking in an aftic and changing nothing else fixed it. Um, so to my mind, it's, it's a, if, if I'm going to run a 9 mil 911 or a 40 911 or 2011, uh, there's a very good chance I'm going to stick an aftic in it straight away just because they, they work and they last really, really well. The one I've got in one of my current guns um, came out of another gun where it, it took a shitload of burns. Yeah, so yeah, I have... So- Sorry, guys, go ahead. Um, no, no. Something to keep in mind with the traditional 1911s extractors is they can crack, they can chip, they can wear out. In other words, they don't have the correct uh, they, they don't have the correct purchase on the case head. Something else to keep in mind with those traditional extractors is they can actually lose their tension. In other hmm. words, they stop holding the case correctly, even though you still have, in theory, good mechanical contact between the case and the extractor. You've lost that tension, and that's also going to be something to keep in mind. Once it's lost that tension, it's normally better to replace that extractor instead of retensioning it. There's a yeah, reason you, it lost tension. Yeah, you, you can only bend them so many times before you eventually break them. Um, yeah. Just now I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm running Aftex in, in all my competition guns, uh, and I have, I think, one or two spare Aftex in the bag. Not that I think that I'm ever going to need to replace an Aftex in a match. Uh, I, I have spare guns for that. But if I ever acquired another gun that's for competition use, it'll get an Aftex immediately. Um, in my carry gun, uh, I'm running a, a stock Glock, um, not Colt um, extractor, and I've had really good luck with it on this gun. Uh, I, I know of guys who have had really poor luck with them. Um, Tarek is pointing at himself. He has the same gun that I have, and his has been interesting. Because um, Aftek for, <laughs> for the win, yeah. Uh, okay, so so that that gives us. Uh, Quite a few things that we've covered. I think that the the other things we need to cover is then probably slightly more major spares. Um, so I just want to cover one thing on iron sights before we move on to the major spares. 
So typically, if we use our carry guns, for example, we're normally going to replace the factory sights with something that's nicer, whether it's Trigicon HD, some other form of night sight or competition sights. What I'd recommend is that iron sights, just as much as dots or any other sighting system, can fail, can break, can get damaged. Impossible. When, Only when red do dots fail. Iron <laughs> sights oh, yes. are as reliable as the rotation of the earth. I got hashtag, told by a woman in a gun shop. Hashtag, hashtag dot life. <laughs> when you do replace those factory sites with another set of sites, do not throw your factory sites away or do not sell them. Keep them as spares. If you do have a bad day and you break your front sight off the gun for whatever reason, doesn't matter. At least you've got something you can put in there and you've got an aiming system you can work with until you can rectify the problem. Amen. Excellent point. Now, just bear in mind with that, um, if you have sight issues that you're aware of, fix them immediately. You cannot fix sight issues on the range. Okay. Like if you break it out the dovetail, you've broken it out the dovetail. Sorry, you're not going to fix that at the range. If you have broken off a front sight, sorry, you're not going to fix that on the range and that's going to stay. It needs to get locked tighted in. Um, if you have a dovetailed front sight, that probably requires fitting of some form in, in some guns. Uh, others have a, a little grub screw that keeps it in place. But bear in mind that sights are not a quick fix. It's not something that you just oh, I'll keep a spare set in my bag. And and yeah, I've, I've noticed some issues with these sites. They move it a little bit. It's weird, but I'll just ignore it until it goes. Um, fix it immediately. And for Especially the record, on carry guns. Kunea has broken as many iron sites as I've broken dots. Yep. I've <laughs> broken all the irons. Like you think of one, I've broken it uh, in, in, in unfortunate ways. Um, so before I can attest we... that iron sites are as reliable as red dots. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's a good idea that if your gun's got iron sights, it has a, a, a red dot. A backup red dot. they fail, you've got some way of aiming. Um, before <laughs> we move on to major spares, sorry, there's one more thing I want to discuss, and that's um, shock buffs uh, or, or whatever sort of terminology you want to use to use them. Um, I'm not a big fan of them in most guns. Uh, I've run them in my Shadows and, and, and my Shadow 2s. Um, with with pretty good result, with actually really good result, but you do need to replace them. They start wearing out. 1911s as well. I've run them in 1911s for years, um, but I've also seen a, a well, a, a, you know, good quality one, a well-known brand, completely fail and lock up a gun solidly in a hundred rounds. So you know, if if you're running a lot of 130 power factor nine more on something with a shock buff. I, I had a gun once that I used to replace the shot buffs the same times I replaced the recoil springs. Um, but if you're running major 40, major 45, something like that, you're probably going to have to replace it more often. So keep an eye on those. Um, I've seen some for Glocks. I think they're stupid. Um, the only guns that really made sense for me, they are on, on steel frame guns, but or steel metal frame guns, steel alloy. But keep an eye on them and replace them when you, when you need to. Yeah, I, I'm for you. I'm not a fan of shock buffs. Uh, I have some lying around here somewhere that's brand new. Um, I have seen them disintegrate, perhaps through neglect, uh, but I have seen them disintegrate and like that gun's not doing anything uh, for a while. Um, I, I don't like them. They are sensible for guns where you're running like really high power factor stuff, and lots of rounds. They, they will make your gun last longer provided you replace them on some sensible cycle. In a carry gun, I would never put one in. Um, some guys will be happy to do that. I would. I would never do it because I've seen them fail. Um, but that's that's a your choice. They they're good for for gun wear. They might be bad for living through the gunfight. <laughs> <laughs> but the biggest best thing 
different guns are going to have different, um, you know, different guns have got different parts. <laughs> Uh, season 75 style pistols are famous for breaking uh, slide stops. Um, so you want to keep spares there. And once again, I know what a lot of guys did with those is they uh, they would replace, they would have like a match one and a, and a practice one. Whatever system you use, it, if it's a wear part, keep spares and re- try and replace them before they break. Because if it's broken, nothing good's going to happen. Uh, locking blocks, Beretta 92s. The current ones are a lot more durable, um, but there's still a part that off the top of my head, don't quote me, I think sort of every 10,000 rounds you want to look at replacing. And remember, those need to be fitted. It's not actually just a drop-in part uh, because of the way the gun wears. Uh, also, if you break off those 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 ears that lock into it, you, you may potentially end up with a gun that's semi-unsafe to fire. Yeah, so it's not, you, need yeah. To, you need to keep on top of those. Um, you know, the, and, and it's little things that guys often don't think about. On the on the classic series SIGs, before they went to the, the sort of 229-style machine slide, uh, it used to be a slam slide with a, a breech block pinned in. So if you've got an old West German 226 or 220 or 225 or something, um, or the 228s, you've got a, that you'll see that it's a stamp slide with a, a pinned in breech face. Now, there's two pins in there that hold that in. Those SIG recommend replaced get replaced every 5,000 rounds. A lot of guys don't, but they break, that breech block starts moving within the, within the slide, and you start damaging frames uh, all through a stupid little pin that, that would have cost you a couple of bucks to replace. So you need to, whatever gun you've got, you need to do a little bit of research into that particular gun. And, and, and if any fanboy tells you that on whatever gun you've got, nothing breaks, Stop fucking listening to them because they're talking shit. It doesn't matter what gun it is, guns break. So if someone's telling you it's okay, you've got whatever, it's never going to break, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, understand that people on the internet lie. My general rule with people... Says the people on the internet. Yeah, but we're different. We don't lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> believe nothing we say. Generally, when someone tells you that they've got... Well, my general round count rule on the internet is whatever number someone says, I generally take a zero uh, because that's generally clo- closer to accurate. So if they tell me they've got a thousand rounds, they've probably fired a hundred. If they tell me they've shot ten thousand, they've maybe shot a thousand, and often less. So be very careful of people coming up and, and telling you, no, it's okay. You've got whatever brand, and these guns don't break. Guns break uh, either through use and sometimes just because shit happens because. No one's quality control is that good that the gun's perfect. Guys have had guns out of Wilson Combat that had issues on them. Now, Wilson, as a general rule, built spectacular guns. But if occasionally a $3,000 gun um, has something not right out the box, I can guarantee you your 3,000 Rand gun has the same sort of possibility. Yep, absolutely. But get to know whatever gun you're running. You know, As I say, the 92 is famous for, for trigger springs and locking blocks. Um, 1911s will crack firing pin uh, retainer plates. Yep. Uh, and that's another thing. Firing pin stops need to be fitted because they need yeah. to fit correctly into your extractor. They need to fit correctly into the slide of the gun and they need to be angled correctly to control the, the sort of uh, slide velocity. You, you need, they need to be fitted. It's not something you, you take out the bag and stick it in your gun um, because it won't go in. It's not going to fit. Oh, Tarek is making the faces that looks like he's done it. sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work you'll find out you'll find out Mm. 
but it it it's really is beholden on you. You know, if you if you shoot in competition or if this is a defensive gun, you know, if it's a plinking tool and it breaks and it means you can't shoot for six months or a year or three years, well, it sucks to be you. Um, if it's a competition gun and you're now out of competition for a year while you wait for someone to try and somehow source you apart, that's a problem. If it's a self-defense gun, that's even worse. The best spares kit you can keep, so if, especially for competition but for, for anything else, the absolute spares kit you can keep is going to be shaped exactly the same as the gun you're shooting. Um, so if something breaks at a match, the best thing you can do is take your gun, safely unloaded, throw it in the bag, take an identical backup out of it, put it on your holster, chat to the RM, the range master, if that's a requirement in your sport, and carry on shooting. Uh, trying to fix guns, and I've done this, trying to fix guns in safety areas at major matches is not a good way to have a, have a, have a good match. Uh, throw it in the bag, grab the spare, put the spare in your belt, and rock on with your bad self. Yep, I've had to do that. I know Gaz has had to swap guns in matches. Uh, you've had to yep. swap guns in matches. Uh, it, it really is a the difference between messing around with a gun and trying to figure out what the hell's wrong with it, or maybe knowing what's wrong with it, but don't have the parts to fix it, or don't have the perfect part to fix it. Or sometimes people don't have the, the tools they need to fix things on the range, believe it or not. Um, it's peace of mind. I take out a second gun that I know works. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expensive fix, but it's a guaranteed fix. I, it's I the, prefer it's it the yeah, it's the least stressful fix. You know, I've I found myself trying to fix one of my guns in the safety area before, and it doesn't matter whether it's a major match or not. It is an uncomfortable situation. It's a stressful situation. And it could be something as simple as changing a trigger spring, you know, something that you overlooked. That's still a stressful environment. Whereas if you've got that spare gun, it's easy to go to the safety area, put the other one on, and then carry on with your match. You haven't induced much stress on yourself. You might have to get over some issues you had in that stage because of the malfunction, but you can carry on with the match and you can enjoy what you went there for. So, you know, most matches here, you know, and most matches here will not have a sighting in bay or a test bay. Uh, it's just, even at nationals here, it's very rare to have a match where there is some sort of test bay or sighting in bay. So now you've shot the stage, you've, You've, you know, you've, you've shot, you've, you've been in the safety area trying to make your gun work. You, you're now going to the next stage and you've got to run a stage without knowing if that gun works, without having had an opportunity to test it since you've done work on it. That's not going to be good. Even if it does work, you're probably not going to be jumping into that stage with the, the best of sort of mental health. You're probably not going to be jumping into that stage and giving it the performance that you're capable of. Uh, and Worst case scenario, it still doesn't work or something like that happens. So if you can, and I, I appreciate that it is a, it's a reasonable amount of money. So, um, you know, so if you can have a spare gun, uh, that's a win. Otherwise, you know, with something like a 1911, you need to have a lot of fitted spare parts. So I would suggest having like a fitted spare fire control mechanism. Uh, hammer, sear, disconnector, so that because I've had that also fail on the gun, and then I'm I've sat in the safety area with a bag of spares trying to put something together to make a gun work because it broke three rounds into stage one, I believe. Um, and eventually I I left because I just couldn't make anything right. Uh, you don't want to be in that situation. It's not it's not fun. It's not great. And if you spent a lot of time and money, or even if you haven't, you know, even if you've just been looking forward to this club shoot and you've now gone through to the club shoot 
and your gun's broken, it's not fun. It's not, it's not great. So if you can, an identical spear is first prize, something that can be used as a spear is second. And after that, as, as many sort of fixed, fitted, workable sub-assemblies that you can plug in. Just Which is also one thing that we're talking a lot about, parts that need to be fitted and that sort of stuff on the 1911s especially. But this applies to any firearm platform or sport or whatever that you're doing. Understand your gun, understand your equipment, get the necessary necessary training to be able to maintain that equipment, have the spare parts, and then you can carry on with it. Especially if you can't have a backup gun, make sure you've got the training to fit those parts. It's On a 1911, for example, it's pointless having a fitted extractor if you don't know how to fit the fitted extractor when it breaks on the range, for example. So understand that that assembly or the way the gun works, how it comes apart, how it goes together. And most importantly, understand the safety checks when you've done that. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, and if you worked on anything with the trigger um, or the safety mechanism or anything like that, make sure you know how to check that the safety is all working. If it's a self-defense gun, and this is something people often sort of, you know, if it's a self-defense gun, you're probably not going to be able to go to your range bag and get a spare back, a, a, a backup. Um, if it's a self-defense gun, it it needs to work a lot more than a competition gun does. And, and even if it's not shot as much, as we said earlier, things can go wrong. So I think I, I see pretty often, and it's it's one of those things that that just doesn't make sense. Is you'll see on on internet forums or on Facebook groups or whatever, guys going, I, I'm looking for a self defense gun, but I want something unique. You know, in South Africa, the two biggest brands are, are, are Glock for the people who are right, and then some people choose a CZ. Um, <laughs> but no jokes aside, the, the majority of, of of you know the two biggest brands here are Glock and CZ. Um, there's some weirdos who use 1911s, but you know they're on drugs. Um, and we get guys going, "Oh, I don't want one of those. I don't want a Glock. I don't want a CZ. I want something unique. I want to, you know, I want to be unique." And and as the late great Todd Louis Green reminded us, sometimes uncommon guns are uncommon for a reason. So you've gotten this awesome grey import that isn't available here because they don't have a manufacturer, but someone's managed to route one out of Mongolia so that you can buy it at a premium. Uh, and it could be a, a great brand and you could get the one where something's gone wrong or someone in the gun shop um, was messing around with it or you fell off your motorbike, had a car accident, whatever, and something got damaged. And now all of a sudden that wonderful snowflake gun of yours is useless because you can't keep it working. That's something we need to bear in mind. So if, if you're going to have something unique, make sure that at the same time as you source the gun, you source a giant pile of magazines, of which you can keep a whole lot in their wrapping. You get it, find a source of spares, springs, extractors, that sort of thing. And don't rely on, I have a friend in Europe or I have a friend in America who can send me this stuff. Uh, because if you look at, if you broke something on March 25th, 2020 in South Africa, um, and, and you were relying on someone being able to post it to you from the States, you would probably still not have a functional gun. Never mind all the, the, the issues with, with export without permits and all that sort of thing. There's a very good chance you may be in a position where your friend can't get the part, they can't get it to you, uh, and you've still got a broken gun for one slide. So on that same point, other than your friend sending it to you from overseas, uh, gun shops were not allowed to trade for quite a long time. Um, if you broke something on uh, granted, you couldn't really go and shoot and train and stuff. But if you got into a, into a defensive situation and you actually ended up winning but breaking something on your defensive gun, 
you would have been without that gun, even if the police didn't take it. You would have been without that gun for a long period of time in South Africa if you didn't keep some sensible spares on hand. Um, that's a massive sort of what if that no one thought about because we never had this situation in, in most of our lifetimes, uh, in this country at least. Keeping some cheap spares on hand avoids that. Uh, sort of we had a once-off event that happens but screws with everything. Um, how, how many guys do we know, and I'm sure all of us know a whole lot of guys and girls who did this, who over the the, the time of lockdown cleaned their guns about a thousand times because there was nothing else they could do. And, and never out. tested them. Never yeah, tested but besides them. that, details stripped them, messed around with this and that. Lose a spring then. Lose a pin then. Uh, if you've got a little... Um, you know, if you've got a full set of spares for your gun, everything except a slide frame and barrel, uh, you can get it back and functional. If you don't, because you're relying on someone sourcing it for you, and as Cornel said, the gun, you know, with, with with this this Corona thing, the gun shops were, were closed, and when they could open for the first couple of weeks, they couldn't sell to you unless you were a, 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 um, an essential service. So even if if I had the part in stock and you didn't. And you needed the thing. I could not supply the part to you legally. Uh, if you had this, the part in your bag, well, you're in a far better position of trying to keep this thing working. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of them because they don't excite me that much. But there's a reason why you see so many Toyotas and people are going to travel around Africa. Uh, it's because a they're less likely to break, but b and I think a lot more importantly for a lot of people, if they do break, you can find spares everywhere if your jeep breaks and you're in the middle of benin um you're walking shoelace express yeah <laughs> i love that that's an awesome expression <laughs> uh, um i think that's probably gotten to some of the major stuff too Tarek. um some oddball things that you may want to consider especially as a competition shooter is um spare mag release uh, I, I, I know of someone who managed to break one at nationals. Hello, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at least a spare mag release is a good idea. And uh, their matching springs. And their matching springs. Uh, and mag release springs. And the knowledge of how to replace it. Um, that was actually a, also, sorry to interrupt, but that was a classic example of a spare gun because the, the knob broke off the mag release, but the Loctite that was holding the knob in then managed to keep the rest of the body in. So I couldn't change it when I did find a spare one. Um, so I had to shoot the rest of the match with this like really short, stumpy um, excuse of a mag release uh, where, where the big knob had been attached to it. Uh, whereas if I had a spare gun, I could have just got to the spare gun. Exactly. That's, that's a good one. Uh, some other things to consider keeping. Uh, if you have a 1911, that, uh, that, that plunger spring um, that sits between your, your safety and your slide stop. Uh, guys lose those all the time. They don't break often, but guys, I, I need to pull out the safety because I need to check something. My sear engagement isn't perfect, and there it goes. Uh, <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah, that's, that's a pesky assembly. That's something that gets lost easy. Yeah, that thing shoots across the, the, the room like nobody's business. I mean, I mean the, the best space kit you can keep for a 1911 is a modern plastic people popper that when you're not posing on Instagram, you actually use. Oh, I keep one of those too. <laughs> But like, I like posing all the time. So, burn. <laughs> um, hammers. Uh, I, I, if you're shooting 1911s, it might be a good idea to have that as part of your your fitted fire control group. 
because that it needs to be fitted. Uh, but for not just not guys, I know guys who've worn out CZ hammers as well. Lots, lots of shooting. Yeah. But they, they, they can break is the point. Um, and they don't always break because they've been worn out. Um, something like you trip mid stage and you knock the hell out of the hammer of your gun on a, on a stage prop. I mean, you conceivably can break it off. Um, so that's, if you've got a 1911 and you don't have a spare gun, you need a hammer as part of your, your sort of spare fire control group for these guns. Um, basic pins, Terry mentioned them, um, things like mainspring housing pins, um, things like ejector pins. Uh, those things go missing when guys take guns apart and they don't know quite how they work. Uh, and like parts go places they shouldn't be and they never make it back into the gun. Um, if you have guns with uh, weird little plunger safeties um, and little plunger springs for those, those things shoot out of guns when guys take them apart and they don't know how the guns normally come apart. Um, if you have to strip a gun on a range, that thing will enter the berm and you will never find it. Uh, so keep spares. Something else that I've seen guys lose. Sorry, see. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. A really good idea with that is if you're going to have to do that in your range bag, keep a large clear plastic bag and put the gun in the bag, in the safety area, not in your range bag, um, and try and take the try and do the work there. So if anything does fly out, um, it'll stop in the bag and not in, in the berm or behind the table or stuck between the table and the wall or somewhere where it can't be reached. Sorry. Something else to keep on hand, and this you definitely can do, if you have extended magazine plates on your magazines and you don't have ones with like sensible springs that you depress in order to take the, the base off, but they have little screws, keep spares. Uh, I've seen at the level four, someone in my detail, took their only big mag for the match apart to clean it between stages, lost it, and had to shoot the rest of the match with no big mag. Uh, okay. <laughs> it was sad. We all looked for it, but it's like we're in the middle of a flipping range, and you're That's looking for the tiniest little spring, uh, tiniest little screw in the world. Like You're never going to find that thing. Um, and it's also such an oddball size that no one there could just say, well, I happen to have a spare in my bag. I'll help you. Those shooters are very, very, uh, in general, very helpful and will, will help you as far as they can. <laughs> Sometimes it's not possible for them to help because they don't have those spares. Um, some things to keep in mind, uh, and I'm hopping back to 1911s again because I like them a lot. We've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, triggers, trigger bows. Um, do not like knuckle down on your trigger on your 1911 with the safety on. Um, you're going to eventually like set that bow out to the point where the trigger won't move in the gun. That's something to keep an eye on. If you do do something silly like that, you may want to consider replacing that or, or getting, getting it bent back into the, the correct shape. Right. And that brings us on to being careful when you disassemble your gun, other than losing spares. Uh, I've seen guys bend that uh, front section on a Glock slide, to break it off from dropping a disassembled slide on a floor. Um, when you disassemble your guns, do it on a hard surface. That's big enough to contain all the spares. Perhaps in a bag if it's on a range, but do it on a hard surface big and where you cannot drop the actual parts of the gun. Because some things can be damaged and sometimes like irreparably like slides. So you look like you wanted to say something. <laughs> no. uh, so I'm going to touch on that as well. 
Uh, it's a little bit off topic, but we've been talking a lot about having a backup gun, especially on the composition side. So you've got two identical guns. This does not mean that you do not carry any spare parts for those guns because you have a spare gun. More often than not, it means you must make sure that you've got spare parts so that you can keep both guns running efficiently. So you still have to have comprehensive spares for both guns. Yeah, it's it's an immediate fix for something that went wrong, but I don't want to break a gun on day one, stage one of a three-day match, swap it out for my spare and not have a spare for the rest of the match. So exactly, you still need all the spares. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I think at the, the last KZN Nationals, Kenny, Kenny broke two open guns um, in the match. His gun and his backup gun both broke. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. yeah. So it's something to keep in mind. The, the backup gun is an immediate fix, but having the spare parts allows you to rectify that that the repairs that gun needs or the new parts that gun needs when you're back away from the match at home or at the hotel in a contained and relaxed environment where you can work appropriately. Exactly. I, I like how you think calm, relaxed, and appropriately in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> you are the gentleman amongst us. <laughs> Kone is the, is, the, is the James May, I think. <laughs> Captain Slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Just slowly. <laughs> uh, so, what else haven't we hit on, guys? I think we've hit on pretty much everything that I can think of, at least. Yeah, hopefully, after after listening to this, you understand that um, things can go wrong, no matter how much or how little you've shot your gun, uh, and how proper planning and preparation prevents piss poor performance. Uh, that the better prepared you are, the more it, you can turn a catastrophe into a speed bump. Exactly. Gaz, anything else you you think we've missed, we haven't touched on, we should touch on, even if it isn't specifically no. maintenance related, if it's a if it's a general comment around firearms and care for them. Um, no, I think we've covered everything. Um, maintenance and spare parts and all those things comes about with a certain responsibility and an understanding for what you're doing and what you're looking at and why you're looking after it. So with the responsibility comment, uh, if part on your gun needs to be fitted and there are specifically safety parts, safeties, hammer sear engagement, uh, drop safeties on some guns where they, they need to be fitted. Though. That's probably slightly less common. Uh, if you don't have the, the necessary experience skill to do that, don't do it. Um, I saw a match. I was at a match not long ago where someone showed up with a gun where they had replaced the safeties, the, the, the thumb safeties. Um, and the thumb safeties on that gun effectively did not work. Uh, so whether that safety was on or not, I mean, if the safety is on, the slide wouldn't cycle, but it would fire one round because it did nothing to stop the, the hammer from falling. Um, and or in the fact, trigger from that, activating it. Or the trigger from activating it. And that one was so bad that that movement in the, in the, in the safety actually caused movement in the hammer. And that's, that's really poor fitment. Um, so yeah, if you're doing anything that, that potentially changes the safety of your firearm, uh, you need to either have, if you have the prerequisite experience for this, you're probably not listening to us on this topic. Um, but if you don't, please don't do that. Take it to a, to a gunsmith who understands the specific platform that you're dealing with. It's the only way to be safe. Um, something else just as a, as a sort of final, final thought, um, guns were in, in some weird ways, um, open guns. Uh, we, we had a close friend of ours. She came back from the world shoot. Uh, no, it wasn't the world shoot. Nationals. She came back from Nationals. And like she broke her main gun at the match, swapped her backup gun, finished the match like right at the end, 
came back and shot a, a club match with us. And her gun that she swapped to started going full auto in like three rounds, four rounds? Yeah. Match starting? Uh, seven rounds. Seven, seven rounds. Round. Seven rounds. She, she had, she'd finished the match, the, the Nationals, with seven rounds spare. In, in that seven rounds later, the gun started running. And that was the, uh, as I recall, there was an issue with, with the, 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 the frame on the 2011, so the top section and the grip and the interaction there, and that was what was making the, the hammer slip. Yep. Uh, you, you need to be, you need to look for those sorts of things. Now, there was no way that you could have told, tell upfront that that was going to happen with that gun, but some guns, the hammer sear engagement surface starts wearing to the point where if you inspect it, you, you know that there's a problem coming. So when you're doing the, the, the replacement of, of all the, the spare parts that we spoke about earlier, inspecting things that aren't in that regular uh, maintenance cycle for potential safety issues or potential wear, excessive wear, is a really good idea um, and replace those parts as needed. Uh, and as needed means uh, preventatively, not don't, don't do it after they start giving you issues if the issue can be avoided. Like I said, with that gun... It, it wasn't something that you could have known up front. So hopefully you found that useful. Hopefully that uh, made a little bit of sense. And, uh, you know, it's not something you have to do all at once, but start sort of doing a little bit of research on the guns that you shoot, the guns that you own, and start working on having the basic spares that, that your gun requires on, on hand. Um, you can never have too many magazines. Uh, so that, that's always a good place to start. Um, and things like recoil springs and that. Just just start putting together a little spares package so that if something does go wrong, because it's it's gonna happen. If you if you use the tool often enough, um, it's gonna happen. Uh, but get yourself ready so that you 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 are prepared to deal with it as quickly as possible. Thanks ever so much. Uh, we uh, we really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us naturally. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, reminder that every Thursday we have a QA show coming out too. Uh, keep submitting your questions. I'll, I'll repost the link on, on the Facebook group and on the Facebook page. Uh, we have some some new questions that came in that we will be answering shortly. That has been, looking at the numbers, the, the Q&A show has been quite popular, which is fantastic. We appreciate you guys listening. And for what it's worth, this show was based on a, on a listener question that we decided was was a bit too long to kind of cover in the, in the Q&A show. So it, it became a show all of its own. Yeah, thanks everybody for all of the support so far and the listens. Um, the support has been phenomenal and we hope that you continue to enjoy the content and that this episode opened your eyes to some new things and hopefully you get a little bit more interested in the functions of the guns and how they work. Uh, until next time. Later, losers.